0: Well, if you'd open your Bibles uh, to Judges chapter 15, we're going to be in 15 and 16 today. Uh, you can go ahead and scroll down to that or open up if you have the old-fashioned book kind. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there should be one of these around you somewhere on the floor. It's page 176 in this Bible, 176. Excuse me for a second while I adjust this. Let me to try to not uh, scratch every few seconds when I'm talking to you. We're in week three of our series called The Measure of a Man, and we're studying the life of Samson. Uh, Samson's story can be found in Judges 13 through 16. It takes up four chapters of the book of Judges. It's the longest story that we have. In the book of Judges. Uh, So we know more about Samson than we do about any of the other judges or leaders at this time of Israel. Uh, A few years ago, I heard Craig Grishel, who's pastor from Oklahoma City, uh, do a sermon on Samson, and it really marked me. It's actually what made me want to do a series for men in our church, and uh, his work on that sermon has heavily influenced uh, what I want to talk to you about today. But first, let's review Samson's story so far. Samson started out with great potential, You may remember week one, we talked about his birth was announced in advance by an angel. Can you think of anyone else whose birth was announced in advance by an angel? Jesus, right, the correct answer is always Jesus. I told you that last week. Jesus, his birth was announced in advance by an angel. So Samson had great potential. But we also said week one that Samson's story is largely one of wasted potential. He was set apart from birth uh, to be in God's service But he was blessed with great physical strength. But what we quickly find out was that Samson was an incredibly strong man with very weak character. And although he was physically strong, we said he exhibited the three attitudes that make strong men weak. Now, those three attitudes were lust. Uh, Lust says, I want it. Entitlement. Entitlement says, I deserve it. And pride. Pride says, I can handle it. And we watched last week as time after time, Samson, who was gifted by God with incredible strength. Uh, acted out of emotion instead of following the spirit of that same God that gave him that strength. And in doing so, he violated his Nazarite vow. Uh, he allowed himself to be emotion-driven instead of spirit-led. And you may remember, we talked about that Nazarite vow for a couple of weeks. Uh, there were three, basically three parts to that. First was he was not supposed to drink any what? You remember? Help me out. He was not supposed to drink any wine, right? He was not supposed to touch anything that was dead, right, or unclean. He was not supposed to cut his... Hair, right. So when we left Samson last week, what we saw was a man who had violated two parts of his three-part vow. He had gone to the vineyard. We saw he had gotten drunk. He had on multiple occasions not just touched things that were dead, but made them dead to begin with, right? The, The only vow he hadn't violated was his hair. He had still had his long flowing mane of hair. And so anyone who saw Samson would think that he had his act together. Because on the outside, he looked good. He looked like a man who was following God, but on the inside, he was broken. And some of you here know exactly what I'm talking about. Because if anyone were to look at you, they would think you were good. And whenever anyone asks how you're doing, I'm doing good, I'm doing great. You know, I'm busy, but I'm good. But you know that when you look at the inside, you are anything but good, that you're putting on a show because you know you're headed down the wrong path. Did you know that you can be revived? Like if you're headed down the wrong path, did you know you can be revived right now? Uh, we're gonna see that today. We, we have a mortal enemy in Satan and your enemy loves to make strong men weak. But we said week one that we serve a mighty God who loves to make weak men strong and he wants to revive your faith in God. Watch as he does that for Samson. And so Samson has, uh, when we left him last week, he had defeated the Philistines. He had killed uh, a thousand of their men with the jawbone of a donkey. And so he throws down the jawbone, walks down the hill, and here's what happens next. Judges 15, 18 is where we'll start this morning. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord. Very important. You have given this servant, your, uh, your servant, this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned, and he revived So the spring was called on Hakor, and it is still there in Lehi. This is so important. It says, he cried out to the Lord, and he was revived. He was brought back to life. His strength returned. Where does his strength come from? It comes from God, right? He cried out to God, and the Lord revived him. Now watch this, verse 20. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Before we go on, I just want you to stop and think about the implications of that verse. uh, Verse 20 20 years. 20 years is a long time, isn't it? Think about this in your life. What were you doing 20 years ago? I mean, in the last 20 years, I've graduated from college. I've earned a master's degree. My wife and I have moved three times. Uh, We've had two kids. We've traveled countless places. I've eaten approximately 22,000 meals. Yes, I did the math this week and quit exactly one job. Think about where you were 20 years ago. Or think about our church now. Genesis Church is, uh, is 13 years old. In the last 13 years, we've had three lead pastors. We've had three temporary locations and then one permanent location. We've baptized hundreds of people. We launched a second campus here in Carmel and helped plant churches in West Plains, Missouri and Newport, Kentucky and now Bloomington, Indiana. Just imagine what the next 20 years will bring. 20 years is a long time. And if we're not careful, we could just blow right past this verse because on the surface, it doesn't appear like there's much happening here. But if you think about it, this is the first really good piece of news that we've read for Samson. For 20 years, leading Israel without any mention of any of these other incidents, no killing, no drunkenness, no violating his vow, seems to demonstrate a long period of faithful service in Samson's life. These two verses say so much about what Samson's legacy might have been. Right? He had an experience with the living God. He was revived both physically and in his faith. And he leads an apparently faithful life for 20 years. Why? Because he found his purpose. And that's what I want to talk about today. That the measure of a man is found in his purpose. You know, Samson seemingly found his purpose. He, he realized why he was made. He found the reason he was meant to live. And he apparently becomes the leader that God set him apart to be. And we've said throughout this series that every story from the Bible is either an example to follow or a lesson to learn. And and here, Samson had the chance to be an example to follow. But what we're going to see by the time we're finished today is a man that started with incredible potential, potential to serve God, to be used by him, to restore his kingdom and to free God's people. We're going to see him imprisoned by his enemies with his eyes gouged out and the laughing stock of all the people. How does that happen? How does a man called by God, set apart for ministry, uh, given an incredible set of gifts to use to build God's kingdom, how does he make such a mess of his life? Well, the same way that you and I can. Uh, And that's the key thought for today if you're taking notes. that We don't ruin our lives all at once. We do it one step at a time. We do it one step at a time. I I don't know if you remember... Uh, A few years ago, there was a commercial on TV with a bunch of kids, I think it was a Super Bowl commercial, and they were saying, when I grow up, I want to be in middle management. You know, I want to claw my way up to middle management. You remember that commercial? Like that nobody dreams of being in some of these jobs that we have now, right? If you look back at what you dreamed of being when you were a kid, you probably didn't uh, dream that you would be doing what you're doing now. I know I didn't, but it happened one step at a time. And for Samson, it was the same way. He made a mess of his life, but he did it one step at a time. Let's watch this unfold, okay? Judges 1. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute stop there. (laughs) Notice it says one day. I want you to see the contrast here, okay? The last verse of chapter 15 says Samson was leading Israel for 20 years, and then the first verse of 16 says one day. See the contrast? 20 years, one day. 20 years, one day. This one day is going to set Samson on a path that will eventually result in his death. It was the same way with Moses. Uh, Moses, when he made the biggest mistake of his life, he uh, accidentally killed someone. That uh, that story starts with one day, Moses went out to watch his people and he saw a fight. The, the story of David and Bathsheba starts with one evening. It says, one evening, David went up on his roof. You know, there was a time when all the kings were supposed to be out at war and David wasn't where he was supposed to be. And so one evening, Samson's not where he's supposed to be. And so one day, it just takes one day. You know, last week, um, some of you called me out on this. I was uh, telling you that we have some rules in our marriage And I said that one of them happened because my wife and I were close to an affair. And what was more accurate to say was we were, I only said that in the first service, we were close to a couple who had an affair. And so what, different, it's a little different. So what I wanted to say when I got up here this week was I wanted to correct that and say, no, my wife and I were never close to having an affair. But the truth is, isn't it, that we are all one day away from having an affair, Right? I mean, not, most affairs don't happen in a day. They start with a text. They start with a, a little flirt. They start with a, uh, a lunch together or something like that. But one day, we could take that first step down that road that leads to destruction, couldn't we? You know, isn't it crazy how one day can change the course of our lives? That one day without the presence of God in our lives can get us completely off course. I think that's why the psalmist says better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Because if we spend every day in God's presence, we can't get off track like Samson does. All right, one day Samson went out to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him uh, at night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. Now let me show you why this is a big deal that Samson's even here, okay? Uh, I've got a map over here. Gaza is way down uh, south on the far uh, left corner uh, on the Mediterranean Sea. Zora is up there in red, about halfway between the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean. Uh, that's a distance of about 40 miles 40 miles. Now, uh, Gaza is clearly in enemy territory. It's in Philistine territory. And remember, the Philistines were his enemy. Uh, Zora is over here. So, now if you think, how did Samson get there? I promise you he didn't take a southwest commuter flight into Gaza. He probably had to walk there, right? Now, I've become uh, quite an expert on walking in the last few weeks because I have a Fitbit now. And so. Uh, 3098 steps this morning, by the way, in case you were curious. Um, And I know I've done some research this week, and for me to walk 40 miles would be 85,260 steps. That's 85,260 times to pick a foot up and put it down, and pick a foot up and put it down. It's 85,262 times to do this. It's also 85,260 chances to think, am I going the right way? Like, am I going the way I want to go, right? So Samson, as he's walking to Gaza, had 85,260 chances to turn around, right? He had 85,260 chances to step toward God's purpose for his life, but instead, all 85,260 times, he took a step away from God's purpose and towards his enemy, he had 85,260 chances to repent. You know that's what repent means, right? To turn around, to turn back to God. He had 85,260 chances to repent. How did Samson ruin his life? He did it one step at a time. So, uh, as I look at our story for today, I can see at least three steps. That Samson took toward his destruction—three steps that brought him away from God's purpose for his life and towards the enemy—and and why this is important is that we sometimes make the same kind of mistakes. That we take the same kind of steps that Samson did. Each step gets us closer to making a mess of our lives. And so I want to look at three ways. Uh, and these are in your notes if you want to follow along. Three ways that we can avoid following in Samson's footsteps. So Samson's with his prostitute. His enemy is outside crouching down, waiting for him to leave in the morning. Let's pick it up in verse 3. But Samson lay there only till the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors on the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. The middle of the night, okay, the middle of the night, the city gates would have been locked. Most larger cities at this time would have had a wall around them to protect them from their enemies, and they would have had uh, gates, and at night those gates would be locked. They'd be closed to keep anyone from getting in. They're not to protect anybody from getting out. They're to keep people from getting in, so they would have locked from the inside. So Samson could have very easily woke up, unlocked the gate, And snuck out without anyone noticing. But the strongest man in the world had other plans. So he rips off the gates, posts and all, and lifts them above his head. Now, I don't know how heavy these gates were. I did a lot of research this week uh, and realized that the gates themselves have never been found, the gates to Gaza. But archaeologists have found remnants of other city gates from other cities in this area around the same time. And found that most of them were made of wood, usually cedar. And uh, they would have been uh, fairly thick, uh, at least an inch and a half thick, some of them up to a half of a foot thick. And they would have been plated or um, uh, barred or plated with bronze or iron to protect them from fire. And so uh, pretty heavy, pretty tall, 10 feet high or taller, and probably weighed several hundred pounds. In fact, the most consistent estimate I found online was that each gate would have weighed about 160 kilograms or 350 pounds. So that's 700 pounds for Samson over his head, and all my CrossFit friends are extremely jealous right now. Right, Tori? Oh, 700 pounds overhead. Now, I wonder if he could squat that. Um, But ripping off these gates and carrying them away to Hebron, what was he doing? Well, he was removing a symbol of security for the Philistines, and in doing so, he was taunting them. He, He was taunting the enemy. Why would he do this? Why would a man who had already frustrated his enemy. He was already targeted by his enemy. Why would he do this? Well, because he underestimated their strength. And so step number one that we can take to avoid walking in Samson's footsteps is don't underestimate, don't underestimate your enemy. Now, I have to tell you, men, we do this all the time. We have a very real enemy, and he's not all powerful, but he has some power over us. If we don't uh, continually live by the Spirit, our enemy can start to talk at us and make us believe things that aren't true and we do this all the time man we well it won't hurt anything if I have my girlfriend stay the night I mean I'm strong enough I can handle it we're just taunting the enemy you know I can have just one drink just just one smoke just one pill I mean I know I've had a problem before but I've learned my lesson you're taunting the enemy you're underestimating his strength I'll just use my credit card for this it's really important and I mean I've already got thousands of dollars of debt anyway what's a few hundred more You're underestimating your enemy. We think we're good. We think we're on solid ground. But here's what Scripture has to say about that. 1 Corinthians 10 says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You know, just this week I was out running, and I was down this road. I'd run down uh, many, many times, but it had been about a year. And I noticed with the 31 all complete now, all the traffic patterns have changed. And so I was running down this road... And it was much busier than I remember the last time I ran down it. And, uh, and I realized that I had forgotten this, that it doesn't have a shoulder or a sidewalk. And so I was running down uh, the left side of the road facing traffic. And every time a car came, I would have to jump off into the grass. And uh, because I was trying to get a workout, I wanted to just keep running, right? So I'd jump off in the grass and I'd keep running. And I did that once or twice. But about the third time, I jumped off into the grass, took two steps. And the grass had just been mowed, so it was nice and flat. But I stepped in a hole. The speed limit on this road is 50, which means we drive what? 60, right? Thank you. Uh, and so cars are coming by at 60 miles an hour. I step in this hole and I start to stumble toward the road and I catch myself and I think, I better not do that again. And Then I'm running down the road, and another car comes, and so I step off, and I take about two steps running again, because I'm not very smart sometimes, I don't get things the first time, and a tree branch is there, and a tree branch hits me in the forehead, and I stumble and almost fall in the road, and I think, you know what, I think I'm running on solid ground, but I need to be careful that I don't fall, and that's what that scripture says. You know, don't underestimate your enemy. Let's go on. Verse 4, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. I said last week, two things we know about Delilah. She likes to cut hair, and she now hosts a late night call-in show where you can dedicate a song to your special someone, right? Uh, That's all we know. Delilah, that's all we know about her. So uh, you see this pattern in Samson's life, right? There's a pattern. He was, uh, the first time we saw him looking for a wife, he went down to Timnah, and he found a Philistine woman. Now, if you remember from earlier in the Old Testament, the Israelites weren't supposed to intermarry with the Philistines, all right. The next time we see him with a woman, again, it's a, a Philistine, a prostitute in Gaza, the story we just read. Now, to find a wife, he goes to the Valley of Sorek. Now, the problem is, the Valley of Sorek is Philistine territory. In fact, the word Sorek actually means empty or fruitless. And while it describes the terrain in the Valley of Sorek, it certainly describes Samson's uh, quest for a wife as well. Samson is looking for love in all the wrong places. But he doesn't get it each even though every one of those incidents has turned out poorly he just can't stop he can't help himself from trying again he can justify doing again third time he's messed around with the philistine woman so here's step two don't rationalize your sin we are masters of rationalizing the same sin over and over again hey it's my one thing right i mean it's This is my only vice. I'm a good person. This is my only vice. Or uh, at least it's not hurting anybody. Or, I mean, if she didn't do that all the time, then I wouldn't have to do this. Or if he didn't do that all the time, then I wouldn't have to act this way. We are so good at rationalizing the same old sin. But watch what happens. Verse 5. The rulers of the Philistines went to her, to Delilah, And said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Remember, they're still mad about the fields being burned. We talked about that week one. They're mad about the thousand men he struck down, about uh, killing the men to pay for his gambling debt. Now they're mad about the gates at Gaza. And so they decide to get back at Samson. This is their chance. They're going to use Delilah to do it. But Samson, to his credit, at least at first, is too smart for that. And so he tells her the secret to tying him up is to use fresh bowstrings. If you just do that, use fresh bowstrings. Uh, you can't keep me down, or they can't, I, you can't, uh, I can't get back up. And so uh, she does that, and the Philistines come, and then he breaks out of them, and they get scared and run off. And so she asks again, this time Samson says, no, the trick is to use new ropes. If you just use new ropes, uh, then uh, I won't be able to get out. And so the Philistines come, and he breaks free again. And then he tells her, if you braid my hair with fabric and tie it up with a pen. Uh, so she does that. The Philistines come. Samson breaks free. He keeps telling her this stuff, and she keeps tying him up. Like, what's with this guy? How does he not see this? Women have their ways, don't they? Men say amen. But so far, he stayed safe. But watch what happens next. Verse 15. Skip down to verse 15. But then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Watch this, verse 16. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was, men. read this with me, until he was sick to death. Ladies, you've been sitting here patiently waiting for three weeks while I hammer the men. And you've been thinking, when's my turn? When's he gonna go after me? Samson, the man who had the strength to take on a thousand men and kill them with his bare hands, the the man who ripped a lion apart, the man who could hold 700 pounds of gates over his head and carry them through the wilderness was not strong enough to stand up to the nagging of a woman. I'm just saying. Verse 17, so he told her everything. No razor has been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. Now, I personally think this is the key verse in the entire story of Samson. This verse, verse 17, is the key verse in the whole story of Samson because in the three times prior, when he's telling her how to uh, subdue him, Samson made up a reason for his strength, but basically just said, "Here's how you overcome it." Right? He, he said, if "You use fresh bowstrings, if you use new ropes, if you braid my hair." Um, but this time, he goes all the way back to the beginning of the story. Did you catch that? He goes all the way back and says, "I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb." And in that one statement, you can almost feel that Samson is remembering his purpose. He remembers in that moment why he was born, why he's still alive, remembering that he was meant to live for more than he's living for now. And in that moment, when he rediscovers his purpose, that would have been a spectacular time for Samson to stop and turn back around toward God. But he doesn't. Instead, he goes to sleep. He falls asleep. How can you fall asleep with a woman who's already tried to kill him three times, and now she knows the real secret. Well, check out what happens. Verse 19. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Look at his words there. He said, I will go out as before and shake myself free. He just assumes that he'll get away with it again. Why wouldn't he? Well, step three to avoid Samson's uh, journey is don't assume that your sin won't cost you. Guys, don't we assume that we're never going to get caught? I mean, when you're looking at something you shouldn't be, you're, you're stepping out on your wife, you're, you're funneling a little bit off the top, you're cheating on your taxes, you're using some substances that nobody knows about, chances are you keep doing it because you haven't been caught. And since you haven't been caught, you assume you won't get caught. But watch this, verse 21, then the Philistine seized him and gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. He's going back home to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. How did he end up here? One step at a time. But as we see, there were a few moments, like defining moments in this story where Samson remembered his purpose and he could have turned back to God. Because he had weak character, because he was emotion-driven instead of spirit-led, because he assumed he'd never have to pay for his sin and disobedience, Samson ended up not as an example to follow, but as a lesson to learn. And one day, you and I will be accountable for what we did with the purpose of our lives. Uh, One day, all of us will have to stand before a mighty God and give an account for what we did with our lives. And I believe there are two questions that God's going to want to hear from us. One, God will want to know, one, what did you do with Jesus? There's no doubt, Scripture is very clear, that what our eternity looks like after we're gone from this earth has everything to do with how we answer that question. The author of Romans says that every one of us falls short of god 's standard, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. That's the important part, through Jesus, there's no other way to secure your eternity in heaven except by the grace of God, through faith in Christ. That's why we celebrate baptism in such a big way here, because it means that somebody has put their faith in Christ, and their eternity is, is sealed. Romans 10:9 says it this way: "If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's the first thing God will want to know. What did you do with Jesus? And the second question is this. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? In other words, you were created with a purpose. Psalm says that God knew you before you were born, that he has called you to something great. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 reminds us that we should live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. So here's my question. Where are you stepping away from God? And where are you living according to his purpose? All of us need to examine our lives and walk away from those places where sin dwells and toward the calling that God has placed on our lives. Now, there are people here in this room, there are people listening online, and your life is a wreck right now because of something you've done. And you wonder if even God could put the pieces back together again. Like, you wonder if he could still use you in spite of your sin, in spite of your mistake, in spite of your disobedience. You've taken so many steps away from him. I mean, your one day was way back then, and it was a disaster. And you don't see any way that you can ever be made whole again. Well, I want you to know that your mistake will change your life. There's no doubt about that. But it doesn't have to define your life. that that your story will be written from here on out by how you respond to that mistake. And you can choose to keep taking steps away from God, or you can decide now to turn back towards the purpose that he had for your life. I have to tell you that the God who created you to do something great is powerful enough to get you back on track. That's what we're going to talk about next week. But I want you to dwell on this verse. For the next week, I want you to just think about this verse. If you've screwed up royally, if you think you can't be fixed, I want you to see this. This It's where we'll focus uh, next week as we close this series. Verse 22 says this. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. The hair, his symbol of strength, begins to grow back. And here's what we're going to see. Just because you're down doesn't mean you're out. We serve a God of second chances you know, we have an enemy who loves to make strong men weak, but our mighty God loves to make weak men strong, and God wants to make you strong in his purpose for your life. Let's pray together. God, I am so thankful for that truth. Even, to the, even this week as I was preparing for this message and I was thinking about the places in my life where I've gone wrong, I thought about the times that you just gently guided me back on track, that you said, Steve, I have a purpose for you. I've got a plan for you. I have great things in mind for you, your word says. God, I am so thankful for that, and I'm thankful for each and every one of us that you have placed eternity in our hearts and that you have given us a purpose for our life here on earth. Lord, help us this week. As we go our way, help us to see that you created us for something greater than probably even we have in mind. Lord, and help us to step back away from the enemy and back towards the purpose you have for our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.